Hey, welcome back to First Generation, a podcast for the first generation Asian kids. So chances are you've been cooking more during the pandemic, at least for a little while. And if you've tried cooking some of your family's common dishes, you've probably asked your parents for the recipes, only to be left with no measurements or quantities for each ingredient. So this week, I talk about exactly that with my really good friend, Larissa. Uh, we share our musings on food and culture, how we've been increasingly more curious about the food we grew up eating, and how we've been trying to you know, learn how to cook them and to document them so that we can continue passing down these recipes. So Larissa moved from Hong Kong to Brooklyn when she was just three, um, and as a result of being both Chinese and American, has often thought of creative ideas that blend the East and the West, which I think a lot of us can relate to. Uh, so yeah, we have some fun throwing around these ideas, and I hope it sparks some ideas for you too. One thing that we've always talked about is this idea of, um, you know, how like mixed our palate is because we are, you know, both Chinese and American, and obviously because we live in New York City, we have access to even more cultures, and a lot of our friends come from very different backgrounds, and so they kind of share a little bit of um, you know, their own cultural foods with us. And then whenever I think about food, I actually think about a lot of holidays, right? I mean, Chinese New Year. And so like, what, what are the foods that you typically have for Lunar New Year? There is definitely like, I don't even know the English term for it, but there's like fak choy, right? That's the black vermicelli looking. Um, yeah. What is that? It's really great. I, I just don't know what I it is. I think it's, I think it's a sort of a mushroom type like a like a sort of fungus of some sort but <laughs> it doesn't sound sure. appealing it when you call bad. it a fungus <laughs> but that's the thing like you know in english certain things sound so much grosser but in english when you see on a menu of course it's yeah. very intimidating for someone I'm like, who's I'm never not ordering seen the it. fungi like that sounds like yeah, it's gonna give me cancer i'm not ordering <laughs> i'm not ordering the frog i'm not ordering you know the intestines but like if you didn't know what it is and you ate it it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's where I, I'm going to have to draw the line there, though. I can't do intestines. Like, I, I think the closest I've ever gotten is just, like, um, beef tripe, right? What, mm -hmm. what is that? It's like stomach lining? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's your typical dim sum food, right? Like, that I can do. Mm -hmm. Anything beyond that, like, you better tell me if that's a pig's tongue or whatever. I don't want it. Do you <laughs> I eat chicken feet? Oh yeah, chicken exactly. Feet, absolutely, yeah. It looks yeah. a little creepy, but it's like such a staple in dim sum mm -hmm. and so good. So yeah, there's a lot of different types of food. I think in Chinese New Year that like, I like you don't really eat it outside of Chinese New Year. Like what you just mentioned, like that like black vermicelli fungus thing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's super yummy, but I wouldn't really eat it other times of the year. What else is there? I would say during Chinese New Year, from my knowledge and what's been passed down to me from my family, is that, first of all, you always have to have an even amount of food, preferably like eight, right? At least eight, because yeah. eight's a good number, meaning mm -hmm. thought, 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 like wealth. The, di the name of the dish or what it is sounds like something, and what it yeah. sounds like is like a good like a, I mean, it sounds like wealth or something good or health. Yeah. yeah. So for fish, it should be tied to the saying "lin lin yao yu." I think. Yes. Right? And you use money. Like, yeah. Um, abundance, and it's tied, and it sounds very similar to a, like the the word fish. So, yeah, you're right. 
it's like a lot of the food is based on this idea that the pronunciation should reflect a, a good saying that brings in wealth and abundance and luck for the new year. Another one that um, my mom has started making is fatko, which is like a dessert. Yeah, so I'm just looking it up right now, and it's apparently brown sugar, water, flour, baking powder. Um, so really simple to make, and I've always had it because my grandma used to make it growing up, but uh, ever since she passed, my mom has started learning it. And something that was just interesting was that she told me, um, like she started missing like my grandma's uh, fatko, but I guess it's it's called fortune cake, like the direct translation, fortune cake. So she's been missing that. And she was like, oh, like when your grandma was around, I really should have asked her for the recipe or like watched what she was doing. So we don't really know what my grandma specifically did, but my mom, like, I guess like asked some of her friends for their recipes. We asked my aunt, um, so my grandma's daughter about some of the like did did my grandma ever mention like certain ingredients special ingredients um, and then we kind of just she piecemealed it together um, and she's been making it every year so I think it's all also really interesting to see how like a lot of these traditional dishes um, don't get passed on in the same yeah I guess like the recipes for it don't get passed on because we don't really ask about it either yeah well we definitely take what we pretty much get cooked by our family and parents for granted because i would say we're like a few of the youngest people in the family right we go home the meals made and we kind of don't think much about it but maybe i'm getting all like poetic now but no but it's very much like each thing that you get fed there that's like part of your ancestry that's their ancestors mm -hmm. right like yeah. chinese food in general like it came from somewhere it came from like from a food anthropology point of view like rice very important why because we have really good land for right growing rice right but it really is passed on through like centuries and centuries and recipes get passed on from centuries and centuries and the way your grandma makes bako is like her that's so whatever gets passed on and like try to be like replicated that's that's she's part of that ancestor she's part of that too and that's really really beautiful and i really try my hardest to try to learn how my mom cooks for example because i know she's getting older and Back then, she would just cook up a storm, but now she would actually say, do you want to order something? Oh, don't, she's getting tired. Don't, <laughs> yeah, it was just more like, oh, someone's birthday. Like, oh, let's, let's just just keep it simple and order something. But I know maybe deep down it's because it's a lot of work. So, mm. you know, trying to A, be cognizant that like having to like look in the kitchen a little more, perk in to see how something's made. And also now that I live on my own, calling my mom more consistently to say, you know what, I'm going to take the time, call her, ask her how I make this so that I could really try to do it. Of course, doesn't mm -hmm. taste as good, but I know yeah. with maybe time, I'll have my version, right? Absolutely. I love the point you made about like, you know, there's small things that you can do, right? Like peering into the kitchen and seeing how she's making something. Um, also, just looking at the ingredients that they cook with, at least my mom does cook with um, soy sauce, oyster sauce. She also has um, siu heng zao, which is like cooking wine, right? Cooking alcohol, something like mm -hmm. that, um, that she puts on like fish, I think. I don't, I haven't gotten to the level of Chinese cuisine where I add that into my dishes, but yeah, it's like good to kind of peer in and see what ingredients they're using too.
Yeah, I have that. And you know, it's funny because you say There are bits and parts of my Chinese that was introduced to me um, in high school. It's not great, but I did learn to read and write in high school. That so much of what I learned is in Mandarin because that's what they oh, taught in school. Yeah. So when you said Xiu Hing Zhao, I was like, is that Xiaoxing wine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Mandarin way of pronouncing yeah. it. Yeah. Interesting. Another yeah. layer of the very, like, you know, cultural yeah. dialects too within. Yeah. And it's so funny because actually your spoken Cantonese is really good, but because you officially learned a lot of your vocabulary through Mandarin classes in high school, a lot of maybe the first, any any new vocabulary you learned or new things you learned um, about Chinese culture through your high school class, you would kind of associate it with the Mandarin pronunciation. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to hear a funny story? Of, yeah. I guess this is along the topic because at this point we're free roaming. <laughs> but um, there was this time where one of my best friends was like, how do you say strawberry in Cantonese? In my mind, I pride myself on having pretty good Chinese, pretty good Cantonese, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, immediately, without hesitation, like, si And she just started dying mm. because she was like, are you kidding me? Strawberry is sito bele. That's literally yeah. strawberry. Strawberry. And yeah, and that's when I realized, like, oh, at the same time, so much of the food that we know, like cheese, GC, <laughs> yeah, is the like... Chineseified English word. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's partially because your your family was originally from Hong Kong. Right. And like now that I'm in Hong Kong, I recognize that a lot of the, you know, words that we use here are actually just English, but with a Chinese accent. <laughs> um, yeah. Like an example of that completely unrelated to food is um, growing up, I would always hear when I watch like Chinese dramas on TV, people would say like that leap for elevator, like taking the elevator. And I'm like, where is that? How does that, why is it called dot leap, right? Because dot means getting on. But I'm like, where is the word leap coming from? And now I realize, oh, it's lift. You know, like the UK version of elevator is lift. Yeah. And it's just a Chinese accented way of saying lift. I am mind blown because I didn't even think of that. that? Like I was thinking like, oh, taxi, taxi. Yeah. But that way is definitely new to me. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting to see how like two different cultures would also interact and create like new words. But yeah, so the re- the actual way of saying strawberry, I guess, without like, I guess not Chineseifying the English word, the actual Chinese word for strawberry is, do you know it now? I do, because I got, I got laughed at. <laughs> you got roasted. So I got roasted, but it's chongwei, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. But yeah, so many stories that kind of relate back to food. Um, and the, the way something sounds. <laughs> That's yeah. the theme of tonight, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of our food or like why we eat certain foods um, within Chinese culture is related to how it sounds. You're right. And how closely it um, sounds to words that mean abundance or like luck and fortune. So, but like back to the topic about how you're going about trying to um, document or learn more from your parents about the food that they're cooking. 
I've tried. So, you know, like I've lived alone since I was like after college, um, like 21 or so. Um, so ever since then, like I had to cook on my own and I would always call my mom to be like, oh, how did you make this? How did you make that? And it was always so frustrating because I'd ask her how, you know, she would make like, let's say braised oxtail, one of my favorite dishes, right? And she would be like, she would start with like step three. And I'm like, whoa, 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 how did you get, how did you get there? Like, what do you do to the oxtail when, after you buy it from the supermarket? And she's like, oh, of course, like you have to boil water and then, you know, put the oxtail in. And I'm like, well, why didn't you start with that? Like, I would have not boiled any water. I wouldn't have boiled the oxtail. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's funny because she, um, you know, a lot of Chinese cooking, or I think in general, just like cooking, um, once you get to a level of proficiency, you kind of eyeball it or it becomes second nature to you so yeah she would like start with step three whenever she would teach me and then she would also um not know the measurements of anything so i'm like how am i supposed to start trying to make this but yeah yeah i completely feel you which is why i'm so so grateful for the chinese recipes that are written in english that are made by all the new like yeah. influencers and blog the food bloggers and the different sites that are now exist where you could learn exactly how to make these very traditional dishes but it will actually have measurements and it will actually be like in english so you could follow it i wonder it's like many if it's like just many, many people who are in the same boat as us. And then, you know, I think there are a lot of content now that have yeah. recipes and quantities because there's definitely a demand here. <laughs> yeah, like the pain point is clear. The pain point is that, you know, for, um, I guess, in my definition, first gen to be, you know, born or raised in the majority of their lives in a, in a different country as their parents, um, like, something that we probably all subconsciously are thinking more about, especially as we grow older in our 20s. Uh, obviously, we just have to cook more. So then you naturally think about like, oh, what, what are all the food that like my parents used to make? Um, I would like to make that, but I don't, it, none of it is documented, right? So I think there is a wave of creators like from our generation that are trying to do that. Some, um, so what are some examples of these uh, Instagram or content um, that you that you follow around food. I'm I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head, but uh, they've been around for a long time. But walks of life, oh yes. the meat me, the meat men from Singapore, right? Are they that from I Singapore? Don't know. I don't know. Well, I've heard of walks of life. Yeah, there's meat men. Um, to be honest, even like Chrissy Teigen, I love it when I, we watch her mom and Pepper Thai make Thai food. Um, so there's definitely a lot of different like mediums out there. The only thing with TikTok, it might really resemble kind of like your mom's cooking because each, each segment is so quick, <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah, walks of life is one. Another one I recently, um, followed is made with Lao, obviously because we have the same last name, <laughs> but no, they have like 20, <laughs> I'm just checking right now, 28 K followers on Instagram. And yeah, they're actually, this all looks like mainly Cantonese, like Southern Chinese food. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is like stuff I grew up with that I don't really know how to cook. Like, I, I guess like you can, I'm at the stage where I can kind of eyeball it as well. But, you know, stuff like braised oxtail, like I don't really think you can just eyeball it. <laughs> um, 
I think that's definitely one of the the things I want to do more of in general is just documenting it, like specifically how my mom does it. Because yes, it's amazing that there's content out there where I can kind of get like a general understanding of how my mom is doing it. But I also kind of just like want to know like maybe my mom has a very secret ingredient um, or she has like secret tips and tricks. Um, and I want to be able to kind of carry that on for myself and, you know, I guess for my future family, but um, mainly for myself so I can eat them. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned before like Chinese New Year those are definitely more traditional and something I want to learn from directly from my family because something about learning it from your family during the holidays is just really like heartwarming and what makes the holidays the holidays so definitely like the turnip cake the lobaco oh my god I could find so that online but I will want to watch my aunt make it yeah oh one thing that I also think about um when whenever I think about like Chinese food and some of my favorite Chinese food also unfortunately is super fattening. And as you know, I'm like trying to be more health conscious and, you know, make sure that I'm eating enough protein um, and less carbs. But it's so hard on Chinese New Year because lobako turnip cake, it's like majority carbs. <laughs> and two tiny slices is already like 200, 300 calories. But the, the difficult part actually was I felt like, you know, my fitness pal, that's uh, the app that I use to track calories. It wouldn't really have like turnip cake. So when I would want to eat like more traditional food, I get a little, I hesitate because um, I don't know if I'm going to have to make up for it tomorrow because I just had a, a ton of like carbs or like, I don't really know the calorie count for it, but there's been some more content on Instagram I've seen that actually does quantify like the nutritional facts behind a lot of these traditional Chinese dishes. So that's been really cool. Like I, I don't think that was really around when we were teenagers, but there's a lot more of that kind of stuff now, which is good. Yeah, I think there's just so much more like embracing of Chinese mm. food. I think it's a very typical and unfortunately like a shared story among a lot of Asian Americans who grew up eating a snack or a food in school and kind of being made fun of for it. I definitely remember eating seaweed and people were like, can I try? And when they try it, they make like a really gross face, like, ew. Oh, wow. And it did make me feel bad, definitely for sure. But I think like now it's coming to a point where I see my nephew going to school and he eats the seaweed in like, so what? No one cares. Like people love it or they don't, doesn't matter. And I think there's just so much more like knowledge and embracing and mm -hmm. like acceptance of food and culture and understanding food is tied to culture. So it's not yeah. for anyone to judge. And it's, it's like a person like on you. Like if you don't like it, that's fine. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think there's just generally, or at least within New York City, or I guess our social circles, it's become a lot more, I think, common for people to openly embrace and talk about uh, some of their favorite snack, favorite snacks that aren't quote unquote quintessentially American, right? Or Western. Because I remember definitely growing up, I never had one of those stories. Like, you know how it's like a common, I guess, um, like experience for a lot of Asian Americans to like whip out a lunch or a snack at school when they were kids and then they were traumatized because everyone else was like, ew, that's disgusting. You know, I've never had that because I would never even think to bring an Asian snack or maybe snacks are okay, but like I never thought to bring like my mom's salty fish eggplant dish to school, you know, <laughs> like I would die before I would do that, right? So I never had that because I withheld 
myself from, you know, bringing that part of me to school. Um, I mean, there's parts of it that I still feel like are kind of valid, like that salty eggplant chicken fish thing that I just mentioned smells kind of bad. Like it's an acquired taste. It's delicious, but you know, it kind of smells, it it definitely does take up the aroma, um, fill the aroma in the room. So like I get it, but like, yeah, there's maybe some things that aren't as smelly that like I could technically have brought in, but I didn't because yeah, I guess you subconsciously, which is sad, even as a kid knew that it wouldn't, it would be a hard sell. So then I just avoided it. Yeah. I, for me, it was more of the hard way because school lunch is disgusting and that's why I didn't eat lunch. So then my mom knew I didn't eat lunch. So she, um, like in elementary school and middle school, would give me snacks because I wouldn't eat. And that's when, you know, it was more firsthand experience where people would be like, ew, like there was seaweed that I loved and people were like, yuck. There was something else. There was also those like the, the dried squid. Oh, dried squid. That's a snack. Yeah, like, I thought it was delicious. I would give it to some, you know, friends. And it was friends that would also be like, ew, what is this? So definitely that. But this all really changed, too, in high school because I then went to a a more high school in New York City where there was a lot more Chinese kids. And I would then went all out where I would bring, like, an actual fan hub, like an actual lunchbox with rice, chicken wings. Like, (laughs) I didn't bring salted fish, but... Because school lunch was also disgusting, and at this point, there are so many others that really know what type of food I'm bringing. I just, like, unleashed myself and brought my food. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess when I was younger, I I would always want to bring Lunchables. Like, that was, like, you were cool if you had a Lunchables with you. And oh, I'm I talking specifically third grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want Lunchables, too. It looks, it was so cool. And those yeah. cheese crackers. Yeah. Ugh, the Ritz. But, okay, the, the ham always just looked like it was made out of plastic. Like, even the third grader in me was like, nah, I'm going to lay off. The, the ham <laughs> that looks suspicious i'll just eat the cheese and the ritz cracker and the capri sun but yeah yeah so that well, i mean but we've all kind of grew out of that at this point right here we are on your podcast today talking about the very opposite we're completely like no lunchable embracing trying to learn the recipe recreate it so it really is such a i think this journey yeah. is a reflection of like personal growth through age and feeling comfortable with like what you mm-hmm. like your preferences and what you yeah. want to retain but also like within our american culture the acceptance of like other people's food and other cultures too yeah there's definitely been a shift on both fronts right like one is the internal like yeah i'm gonna own it and like i don't need to withhold this right but i think it's partially because you know whatever mainstream culture that we are around is increasingly more accepting of you know different kinds of food right so i think it makes that much easier but yeah i i I think we talk about this we your business ideas i want to talk about your business (laughs) ideas because it's such a great tie of two cultures that you're part of like the chinese and the american side of you um yeah you want to give everyone an idea of some of the business ideas you've (laughs) floated to me over the past couple of years yeah, I floated so many ideas to Jen that they're all ideas because A, I have not gotten there with my cooking skill level, but <laughs> I always have these ideas and concepts. And for example, like having like a soup dumpling cart or 
like at least in um, New York City, I just floated this recently, where it's like in Hong Kong, I noticed that there's these bakeries where they have steamers and these steamers have dim sum. And I'm like, why don't we have that like quick style, like bakery steamer? We have bakeries that sell dim sum, but in that open in that open storefront way where the steamer is just out and about and people could come up to the store without entering the store is something like, why don't we have that here? Like something very convenient. So that's idea one. Not so much like a mix of anything, but I'm always thinking about all yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe because I just love food. But two, I'm also like, you know, cafes, you pay a lot of money yeah. for coffee, right? And you go to a cafe and you spend a lot of time there. And part of the price is because of like the experience that you get to study there, do work there, meet there, go on a date um, there. Yeah. Um, and you pay for the coffee. But why don't, why isn't there that version with like a Chinese bakery? Yes. You could have bolo bao, you could have, yes, you could have all the, you could have tasu bao, you know, like yeah. instead it's of tasu bao, rose pork bun. Mm-hmm. Rose Park bun. Yeah. So like instead of a croissant or a bagel, you'll have like Chinese baked goods. And yeah. instead of just, co- of course we could have coffee, but also like, for example, like Hong Kong milk tea. Um, and oh, I, so I just like, like a really, really good one and having that be like the, the signature. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, like having that cafe wi-fi yeah yeah Yeah. be an experience for the community Mm -hmm. i always get excited about this because i mean this is not this is totally a first world problem but um you know i love my coffee you know i'm also addicted to coffee so i need my coffee in the morning but i also love hong kong style milk tea so back in new york city there was this place nearby um a, like a chinese bakery nearby that i would always want to get milk tea from but the milk tea wasn't strong enough to cover my caffeine addiction in the morning <laughs> and also it wasn't a sit down bakery i mean there were seats but like there's no wi-fi so you don't really sit there um so like in mornings where I know I have some things to do and I want to be able to relax and like drink coffee or drink my caffeine at a coffee shop and like kind of work through the morning, I would have to choose between Hong Kong style milk tea or just, you know, a soy latte. Um, so yeah, totally a, not really an issue, but I have also had a similar idea and that's kind of why we talked about it before of like, why can't we just bring that type of cuisine into a coffee shop? So I could sit down on a Saturday and do my work and sip on a, um, a milk tea. But actually in Hong Kong, I've seen there's this place called Kong Tea Cafe, which I think just means like Hong Kong tea, right? And it's exactly that. There's free Wi-Fi, kind of gives you that like coffee shop, cafe vibes, um, but it's serving more of the traditional Chinese bakery kind of food, so. I think in my ideal world, in my cafe, like hypothetical, it would essentially be, you have a table where you have some seniors and you, you know, they're always on their newspaper, they're taking some time, hanging out. Like you have a group of seniors, just like chatting, reading their newspaper, spending their time, while you could also have a student right next to them on a laptop. So very intergenerational, but in order, see, I, I definitely like spiraled down this route of like, how could this look? And I was like, maybe at night, it could be a cocktail a bar. bar. <laughs> yeah, a cocktail uh-huh. bar, but like the key ingredient will be like 
the Chinese liquor that is very popular, but that liquor would be the base of all the cocktails.
document your family's culture through food. Is there another smaller way that doesn't involve a whole business <laughs> initiative or side project? <laughs> or side project. Actually, I feel like I'm on a baby mission to do that now. I started to host some friends over during the holidays and Chinese New Year, and I'm making food that, through practice, what my mom taught me. Be able to kind of pass on what my mom does for me, which is feed me, and then、oh. now I get to feed my friends. My friends. And、yeah. of course, doesn't taste as good as what mom makes, but it's nice to gather around the dinner table and have everyone just like be able to eat the things I make and not and be and hopefully be satisfied. That's I'm happy if they're just satisfied. My next goal will be for them to be like, wow, I have to come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love it. So hosting more、um, and sharing some of the recipes that you've learned、um, as a way to practice, but also to share. I love it. But I think right now the way that I want to kind of document my culture, I guess, is through. Well, it would be through podcasting. I've thought about like since I have like all this equipment, right? Like even if it's not an episode that I put out there, like documenting conversations I have with my mom,、uh, as an example, and asking her more about. Well, it could be food, but also just. Life in general, and how you know life was back then for her in China, and like how she felt when she first immigrated to the states. Like that's kind of my way of another pet project, I guess, that I would love to to start is to kind of document that. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know about you, but I can imagine if this was recorded with my family, there'll be so many stories of like when I was、mm. younger. It would just be fuyu, which I don't even know what the English term for that with rice. I'm totally guessing fermented bean curd. Yeah, but that's their way of saying like you're so lucky. We grew up poor. We just ate rice and fuyu, <laughs> <laughs> and now you have all of this food. Yes, too. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for coming on and talking about kind of documenting stories and how we continue traditions. Yeah, but honestly, I think some of the ideas that you floated to me over the years were great because I see people doing it, and I think you should therefore take it as affirmation、um, to take it up one day. Yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing. Thank you. All right, so I will see you all next time in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.